the main struggle for me is not being able to relate to my children when they come home and talk about being picked on or bullied because of their skin color. One take. Lotus the one. I love you, Bobby. If these walls could talk, they tell you about my life. Let's get into the heart of the matter in black and white. No second chances, no opportunities in sight. Cause dreams of escaping is boosting my appetite. What's the American dream? White picket fences, couple kids, couple bands, it's the American scheme. If you're from where I'm from, and they be burying teens and burying dreams. Really some embarrassing things. Institutional change, generational things. Systematic oppression, generational pain. Welcome to the show where we break it down for you, man. Cause if we don't talk about it, then these things will never change. You claim to be an outlier, you're really feeling us. But is equality worth that privilege you've given up? Look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself. Is my equality worth that privilege you've given up? Welcome to the heart of the matter in black and white with Essence Revels and Becky Holloway. Today, we will be discussing raising biracial children with two amazing mothers and hearing their perspective of what it's like raising their children in today's yeah. climate. So we are excited again to have the opportunity to bring on special guests this season. Uh, Becky and I have been very excited and intentional about opening it up because we've had so many requests for guests and we want to bring some other perspectives on. And today we have the, the privilege of speaking to Rachel Owens and Megan Myers about their experience as while they are raising biracial children. And we want to give both of them the opportunity to just introduce who they are and talk about why they we're open to joining us today. So Megan, you can go first. Hi everyone, my name is Megan Myers. Um, I am the mother of a 15 year old daughter and a 13 year old son. Um, my children are biracial. My husband is African-American. Um, and when I was asked to uh, join this conversation today, it was just important to me, um, you know, for several reasons. One, I look at every opportunity to discuss and, and kind of learn new things. Um, I knew I was gonna have the opportunity to also hear another mom's perspective. So that was important to me. Secondly, it's just, um, to me, it's a joy being a mom. Um, I've been very fortunate to be able to raise my kids. Um, my kids are successful. They're a joy to be around. And, uh, you know, this was just, it, this sounded like a, a fun topic for me. If that's, you know, I don't know if it's a, if everybody would agree that it's fun, but for me, um, I've had an excellent experience being a mom thus far. Thank you, Megan. And I'm sure I've shared this with you before, but you are one of the moms that I have always looked up to as I was becoming a mom of two children, because you have just, like you said, your kids are amazing. And that to me is a reflection of, of their parents. So amazing job and we'll get to hear all about how she how she goes through that because I'm sure she makes it look way easier than it actually is <laughs> all right you. Rachel you are up tell us about your yourself and why you're joining us today so my name is Rachel Owens and I have an eight-year-old daughter that we adopted um, from foster care almost six years ago now and we are just hit three months of fostering her brother, who's um, still kind of in the process of foster care. And we're hoping to be able to adopt him um, sometime later this year. And he is 15 months. So we have kind of the opposite end of the spectrum um, for Megan. And I, I kind of had a similar perspective that um, just as I've grown and learned a lot, I think it's just important to continue to have discussions and to just help educate others and, and just to continue to learn myself. Honestly, I feel like I'm constantly learning, especially at each new age and stage um, with our daughter and I'm sure eventually with our son. So um, yeah, that's just kind of, I guess, my perspective of um, why it's important. And I guess the other thing is that I have been trained and I'm licensed as a counselor and in the counseling room, this topic is incredibly important. And 
the more I can do to educate myself and be aware, the better of a therapist I'm going to be. So um, those are kind of, I guess, my reasons for wanting to join today. All right. Well, thank you both. Um, we are, I echo what Essence said. Um, we are delighted to have both of you. I'm ex just really eager to learn from both of you. Um, I've known Rachel for many years and, and have watched her journey of motherhood and um, have just really appreciated many of the things that she has shared and uh, some of the unique challenges she has faced. So I think this will be a really valuable conversation for our listeners. I wanted to start by asking both of you and um, Megan, why don't we start with you on this one? And then after you answer, Rachel, you can jump in and share your perspective as well. What are some of the things that you love about being a mom to biracial children? And what are some of the challenges that you have faced? I think um, when I think, you know, the first thing that comes to mind when I think about what I love being a mom to biracial children, it's been very eye-opening for me. You know, growing up as a, a white woman, um, I look back at my parents and, you know, my parents traditionally had the privilege to remain silent about race. And, you know, when you become a mother, you don't anticipate um, all these like challenges and hurdles and, um, you know, and things that you're, you're going to face, especially when you're becoming a mom to uh, children that are biracial. So for me, um, you know, obviously I love my kids dearly, but it's taught me so much. Um, I've learned a lot in this short period of time. And, you know, the experience, like I said, it, it's eye-opening. And when I think of, you know, the challenges the main struggle for me is not being able to relate to my children when they come home and talk about being picked on or bullied because of their skin color. Um, obviously, that's something that I have never experienced. So as a mother, you know, to hear your kids talk about things that other kids have said to them, whether it be at school, in the community, on the baseball team, um, you know, all I can do is listen. But I do, you know, there are times where I just kind of sit uh, whether it be, you know, cry uh, and just, you know, it, it, it's a struggle because I, I, all I can, I can listen. Um, I can try to give them advice, but I can't relate to them. And, and to, to, you know, process not being able to relate to your child when, when you're their mother, that that's difficult. So I would say that's the biggest challenge that I face. Mm, I can, I can imagine how painful that would be to to see your children struggling with something that, you know, you yourself, it's, you, you can only imagine you can't, you haven't actually mm -hmm. experienced it yourself. Um, what about you, Rachel? Honestly, Megan nailed both of mine. Um, I was going to say the same thing. I think what I love about it um, is that I have had my perspective expanded um, greatly, just understanding how the world how other people in the world um, go through life and what they view. And, you know, my parents raised me to have a, how should I put this? We were introduced to other cultures and other races um, from a young age. So it's not like I was unaware at all, but, you know, as I've grown and just in the past six, seven years have, as I've read about adoption and having biracial children, um, that perspective has just been expanded greatly. And so I feel like I'm a, a more holistic or better person because I, I've confronted with these. I can't ignore these subjects. Um, and so it, it causes me to search into some hard places. Um, but absolutely the, the number one challenge that I immediately thought of and kept coming back to was I can't identify. I have, I have no idea. And, and for me, it's a double challenge because we have the adoption and we also have the racial issue. And so I don't, I don't identify with either one of them. And so um, that's where my counseling training honestly just really kicks in. And I have to um, just use my empathy and my compassion and I have to just sit with her in her pain. And it, there is some very real pain that, that we're there. Or one of the other challenges that I thought of was that I, I read books differently. Um, my daughter and I read through the Little House on the Prairie series, I think. So she's in second grade now. I think it was when she was in kindergarten. And I was mortified to read some of what was written towards the Indians that I think Ma speaks mm. to. And I'm just like, what? You can't say that. So I just edited 
some of that out because at five or six, I wasn't quite ready to have some of those conversations yet. So um, that's a challenge, like reading me, you know, how I watch videos or read books or listen to other media. It, I just have a different filter now because of her. Wow. Listening to, to both of your experiences and not being able to, to just have that same experience as your children. I just, I couldn't imagine going through that because I'm on the, the end of, I am, I have experienced what my children will, will experience. And I'm sitting here anticipating it and trying mm-hmm. to think about how I can try to protect them from it. And, and this year has forced me to just have those hard conversations with my five-year-old. When he asked me questions about George Floyd's murder, I just, I figure out simplistic words and I just say it and I figure, we just figure it out. But man, the stories that both of you are sharing, thank you both so much. Mm-hmm. Our next question is, how do you talk to your, your children about race? So, so Rachel, you said you weren't quite ready to, to have that question, to have that conversation when your daughter was five. Now that she's eight and so many things have happened around race in our country, how, how do you have those conversations with your, your daughter? Honestly, we haven't had a ton of conversations related to what's going on in the country, mainly because we don't have the news on a lot. I don't, and because last year, you know, she was, you know, with COVID, I think there was some more sheltering. It was easier, but it's, it's more her own personal conversation. I mean, like she usually brings it up, but it's more centered around just what she's feeling and she's a deep feeler. And so it's more, I think related to not fitting in or, you know, her own just identity, but I feel like it's always been age appropriate. Like you shared, you find the right words. You know, I usually let her lead that conversation so far, I guess. And maybe that's not the right approach, but at this point, that's kind of what I've, the approach I've taken with both um, the adoption and also just her, you know, her identity and who she is and having some of those conversations. And so you know, from a young age, she's, she noticed her skin color and mine being different. And so that's kind of where we've started. And, you know, we continue to have the hair and skin discussions. Um, our faith plays in a lot to those conversations. And so it, I feel like that kind of defines some of our conversation, but I do feel like she's just beginning to have a greater awareness. And so my husband, and I really do need to sit down and try to figure out how do we have that conversation with her. Um, and my husband is, is also biracial though. He's fairly light. And so it, but he is from the Caribbean. So it's different. It's not quite the same, I guess. Um, and I feel like, you know, we just need to start having those conversations. I think it was this question that really has made me start thinking about that. You know, how do we have that conversation? So hopefully today will help me know how do we walk away with some of those, you know, how, how do we have that um, discussion with her? And you said that you weren't sure if um, that was the right approach, um, that letting your child guide the conversation is the right approach. It is the right approach because it's your approach. Whatever you think is best for your children and your household, you go with it. Amen. And, and you are going to say the wrong things, Rachel, and that's okay. Like mm-hmm. it just just be be open to wherever that conversation may go. And you know that you care so much about your baby that you are just doing the best that you know how to do. No one knows what they're doing. That's the secret of parenthood. No one knows what they're doing. We're all just trying to do our best. That's so true. true. And Megan, so how have the conversations around race been in your house with your children? So I think when my kids were younger, um, I was really intentional with books, um, you know, media, like videos, things like that. Um, I would incorporate books that would talk about differences. Also, I would always uh, reiterate to them that it's, you know, not a bad thing to notice uh, skin color differences. Um, I've been pretty fortunate. Um, I'd say for the most part, um, you know, my kids, they, they never asked me why I was not the same color as them. I think, Part of that um, is because I have two exceptional 
extended sides of the family, um, the paternal side of the family, as well as the maternal side of the family. My kids are very um, attached to both sides. So, you know, we spend a lot of time together, our families, both sides. So they were always around, um, you know, black people. They were always around white people. One of the other things that has been um, a help with, uh, I have, I'm the oldest of four. And uh, I have a sister who's married to um, a Colombian. And then I have a sister who uh, is married to an African-American. So it's just been kind of a way of life for us. My kids have always seen differences. Um, And the only, you know, the, the, the only advice that I could give, which is a conversation that I've had with, um, you know, friends and colleagues of mine, um, I think the colorblind approach is, is not a good idea. Like when I, I've had to correct my, I don't know if the word correct is appropriate, but I've had to have conversations with people when they said, oh, you know, we, we don't see color. And I said, well, you know, that, that's, that's not really how you want to, you don't want to take that approach. Like you have to see color. You want to see color because there are differences associated with color. Um, and now that my kids are older, you know, we're very transparent. My kids have experienced um, discrimination and, you know, I have one child that is, uh, they're, they're very different. One is very passive. Um, he sees the good in everyone. So when he's experienced um, different situations or scenarios, he kind of takes the approach that, you know, mom, we should, we should let that person learn from this, like, let's educate them. And then my older one, um, you know, she's, she's a little bit, she's very strong willed. Um, she's, she will speak up. She will advocate. Um, she does not tolerate any type of, uh, you know, anyone pointing out any differences. She, she doesn't tolerate, she doesn't accept it. So I've had, that's also been, um, something that I've had to, you know, deal with, with them growing up because they're, they're different. They handle things differently. But again, I've been very transparent with them. My husband and I have open dialogue with them. You know, there are times where I have to rely on him to answer certain questions because I, I just don't know the answer. Um, There are times when I have to step in and explain things to them and we kind of just work and bounce things off one another. And, you know, that that's kind of how we handle it here. So I, I guess as a follow-up to that, Megan, and I'll, I'll start with you because you have older children. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you had the talk with your kids about what to do when approached by police? And then Rachel, you know, I'll, I know your, your kids are obviously a lot younger and, and, um, your, your daughter's brother who you're fostering and hoping to adopt, you know, he's very, very young, but I'm, I'd be curious to also hear your thoughts about, you know, raising a biracial male and how that could present different challenges than your daughter who is biracial. So Megan, we'll start with you. So, yes, we have, um, you know, I, I'm a big believer in um, using experiences like factual experiences. So whenever I have a conversation uh, with my kids, I usually tie something that has occurred. Um, You know, for example, George Floyd, Um, we have been paying close attention to the trial. Um, My kids do come down and, you know, we sit, we talk about it. Um, They have watched, unfortunately, they've watched the video. You know, I've explained to my son um, that, you know, there could be instances where he's in a group of peers, which primarily his peers are predominantly white um, because we live in a predominantly white neighborhood. If, you know, I've had to say to him, you know, you, you always have to make good decisions. You, you, there are going to be times where you have to distance yourself or you have to move away because you, you stand out. You're different. You're different than your peers. And if there is a police situation, um, you know, you, you, you have to be mindful of that. That that's been painful for me because again, I haven't experienced uh, discrimination or, you know, I haven't been targeted by the police. So, so to have to have those conversations, um, it, it has, it's been, it's, it's upsetting. Um, it's uncomfortable. Um, but again, I know that it's necessary. And um, so yes, those conversations, uh, they do occur and they occur on a regular basis. Um, and I've just, you know, I've always parented 
um, I've always used or tied experiences into any conversation that we have. Mm-hmm. And Rachel, what about you? Obviously your, your children are younger, but I would like to get your perspective on this too. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just been a realization, you know, as we, so last year we were in the process of trying to get approved, um, our home approved so that, um, our son could come, um, be with us. And during that time, I think just because of all the racial tensions, um, you know, that was a thought I had was, man, I've never really thought about this before because with our daughter, it just hasn't been on my radar. And I have a couple of friends who have also adopted, um, but their children are um, African-American males. And, you know, I think it was them who first brought up the, the conversation and really got me thinking about it. And so, um, yeah, just hearing Megan talk about how she's approached that. I mean, it, it is incredibly painful as a, with a mother's heart to be like, man, I don't, I don't want to have that conversation. I don't want to have to to have that, but it's important because it's a reality, unfortunately. Um, and so that, that will be a discussion um, for sure on my radar as our children age. I mean, even, you know, with our daughter, um, as, as she grows in understanding, it will be a conversation for sure. But I, I dread the day and I dread, mm-hmm. you know, future conversations of discrimination and, and that sort of thing definitely not an easy conversation. And like I said, I, I just, I've even been began to approach those conversations with my five-year-old who said to my husband and I the other day about the George Floyd murder, because like Megan said, we keep the, we keep seeing it on and, and the trial is running and he's, he's exposed to that. And he says, dad, if I were a cop, I would tell all the bad cops, or I would say to all the bad cops, why are you out here killing people? And I just look at my husband and I'm just like, oh man. So, so it's, it's just tough just trying to always calibrate what he's saying because we don't want him to think that all cops are bad. So I, I guess we did do something good there. Cause he said, if I were a cop, I would say all to, to all the bad cops. So it's just so, it's so tough. It's so tough. Yeah. So now, now transition into something that is a, a little less heavy. How, what are, what are some of the things that you do to honor your child's heritage? And Megan, we can start with you. So I would say, you know, when my kids were younger, I, or we would, you know, this, this was silly to my husband, but I remember being excited when Crayola uh, came out with like the multicultural crayon box. And, um, you know, that was a big thing for me. So we, you know, I ran out and bought them and, you know, we explained to my kids like, oh, look, you know, let's try to find the, the crayon that matches your, your skin color. You know, I incorporated a lot of books, uh, dolls and toys um, into, into their play when they were younger. One of the things that when my, my son is uh, involved in a lot of athletics and um, one of the things that we've been fortunate enough um, is to have him play. He's, he, he does have, you know, like for example, on the baseball team, he's the only uh, black kid on the baseball team. Um, however, he has a flag football team where he, you know, is on a team with many black kids. Um, he has a black, all black coaching staff. So there, there are some of the things that, you know, that, that was important to me. Um, I've always, um, my kids have always gone to African-American hairstylists. My, Mason, I've taken Mason to the barbershop, you know, whether I wanted to do it or not, I would sit in that barbershop sometimes for hours when he was little and, you know, it would just be chaotic. And, but, you know, that was important to me. He needed that, that was, that was where he needed to be to get his hair cut. And, you know, it was an experience for him and, uh, same thing with my daughter, you know, um, allowing her to, you know, get her hair braided when she asked for it, when she was little, I, you know, I don't know how to do that, but I assured, I, I made sure she was able to get that done, you know, being open. Uh, we we often talk about, um, race. Um, my kids, you know, have learned about Kwanzaa, um, one year, you know, Kylan wanted to celebrate it and we, we let her kind of take the lead and everybody participated. 
Um, so, you know, just, just kind of um, also encouraging, you know, self-love. I think that's pretty critical. Encouraging and, and reinforcing to them that when someone asks them, like, what are you, you know, be proud of who you are and be proud of who you, where you, you come from. Um, you know, you do have, um, like I said, two huge extended families on both sides and we try to spend as much time as we can, uh, with them. And, you know, that's kind of what we, what we did. I, that question kind of, uh, when I, when I looked at that question earlier, I thought, Hmm, like, have I really done as much as I should have done to honor their heritage? And, you know, I don't, I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer because it, it, it's hard, you know, it's, it's. I, I think I did the best that I, that I could when they were younger. And now that they're older, they're able to communicate to me. And when they do, I just try to make that happen for them. And, and honestly, Megan, I struggle as an African-American yeah. to celebrate yeah. my heritage because what is it really? Exactly. <laughs> what, yeah. what, what is it? We, as African-Americans, we struggle finding our place here. So it, it's yeah. hard to celebrate something that we don't really understand. So there, there is no right or wrong answer there. Just America do better. How about that? <laughs> That's the answer. Uh, Rachel, how about you? What are some things that you have tried to tried to do to honor your child's heritage? Yeah, definitely books. Books are huge in our um, household. And so always library books um, with just a variety of races in them and um, making sure they're not all white faces all the time. And like our daughter has, has had, currently has, I don't know that she really plays with them anymore, but baby dolls that have skin tones similar to hers or hair similar to hers. And I have made that an effort so that I have made an effort, I should say, to make sure that she doesn't see the world entirely as just, oh, it's, it's white everywhere. Um, because we are in a predominantly white neighborhood also. Um, and so I do want her to have to be exposed. Now we've, I've thought about like, for a while I was thinking about seeing if she wanted to do dance classes, which I don't know that she does, but um, you know, I was thinking through where could I take her? And we have one community where I think it would be more of a all white, um, you know, peers that she would be with in that class. And there's another one that I, she would be exposed. So just thinking through, she would be exposed or be more with peers that would look more like her. And so thinking through those things, you know, that even when we were getting ready to adopt and my husband and we're having this conversation about where do we live and, um, you know, for now, the community that we're in is important to us and we're really connected and, but there might come a time when we need to move because that's important to our children. And so, you know, just being open to that sort of thing. But I think the biggest thing is last year, um, because 2020 wasn't crazy enough with COVID and trying to do a home study and finish my grad degree and internship, et cetera, et cetera. I just said, you know what, this is the year though, that I need to commit to learning more about how to take care of her hair. And I mean, I had done some stuff, but it's definitely been a gradual process, but I had my friend show me how to braid. She was really good with braiding and beading. And she just showed me some simple hairstyles and she'll text me pictures when she sees them on the internet. And so I have very intentionally learned a whole lot and improved her hair tremendously this year. Um, I have a fear that she's going to look back on her younger years pictures and be like, mom, what in the world? Um, so at least maybe these elementary years will be a little better. Um, so for me, just her hair and being able to, to help her um, be able to feed, feel proud of who she is has been really important. And I will continue to do that. And kind of like Megan said, you know, when she wants to get her hair done professionally, then I'm going to provide that opportunity for her um, and just to help teach her how to take care of her hair as she grows and that sort of thing. I know Megan can probably share so many stories about <laughs> taking care of her daughter's beautiful hair as she was growing up. And I mean, I, my daughter has really, really coarse, curly hair. And the one tip I'll give is I use water every day. <laughs> Don't listen to the belief of you can never go outside with your hair wet, especially when it's cold. Well, my daughter <laughs> does every day because that's the only way that I can manage it. <laughs> All right. So that was, that was something that was a little lighter. 
Now we're gonna get a little heavy again. So have either one of you experienced any overtly racist interactions as a result of being a mom to a biracial child? And Megan, we'll start with you. So, so I have not experienced any uh, reactions or interactions as a result of being a, bi- a mom to a biracial child. I, I think that's probably because, you know, who it, it's, it's easy for people to hide their feelings when they know the facts. Um, I have, however, experienced um, interactions when people have, they are not aware of who my children are. You know, if I'm in a setting with, um, I've been in settings with white people where comments have been made, you know, and I've had to speak up or, you know, just kind of, um, you know, reiterate the importance of being open-minded or, you know, not really being, not having small-minded thinking. And again, I, I, I would like to say that um, I'm fortunate because I haven't experienced that. Um, but I do wonder if it's because, you know, people just aren't bold enough to say it, you know, and with kind of where we're at in the world today, you know, I, I would hope somebody would have the courage to, you know, speak up and express their opinion. But I think that it's easier for people to take the cowardly approach and just, you know, kind of talk behind my back rather than to, to speak about it, speak openly about it. So yeah, I haven't, um, I haven't had any conversations about my kids. Rachel, how about you? Have you have had any overtly racist interactions as a result of being a mom to a biracial child? I have not. I, um, I would say I've felt some judgment occasionally, which I don't, I don't know that it would constitute the racist um, comments, but um, just more about like earlier on when I was really learning about my daughter's hair and I had taken her to a he just happened to be a male, but it was a black, um, just a small hairdresser. And there were some older ladies in there. And my daughter's hair was a wreck because she'd just gotten up from a nap. I think she was three or four. And I was already like, it was already a stretch for me to go to him to try to learn and have him. I, it was just a stretch. And so there was just some comments and I was just like, I, th- I think I feel that more than anything is just when her hair is messy or say it's at the end of the, a week that we've had it done. And so I'm always, I just feel that whenever we go out, I'm like, I, I'm doing the best I can. And so I feel, you know, where maybe if she had a, a black mama and out, I don't know if anyone else would ever think twice about it. And maybe it's just more that I feel it, but whatever. I don't even remember now what the comment was, but it was, it was um, definitely, I felt it. <laughs> I felt out of place and I felt like I, Hey, I'm out of my league here. And so I think the biggest thing is just, we're trying. It is a, it is a huge learning curve and we're trying. So cut us some, give us some grace. And as we keep learning, trying to um, honor our children's heritage. And I, I think that that's something as um, mothers in general, right? We are really hard on ourselves. And so whatever the issue is, I, I know I've felt that being out and just, you know, everyone's looking at us and whatever it is, right? Oh, you've got this big stain on your shirt or whatever. So <clears throat> yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Megan, I wanted to get back to something that you had said um, in your answer to that last question. And it actually relates to, to a question I wanted to ask both of you. So I have a friend who um, is biracial herself, but she is uh, white passing. So she, you know, for those who don't know what that means, she can easily pass as a white person without anyone knowing that she is biracial. And she shared that as a result, you know, some white people who don't know her, her heritage will, you know, say things in front of her in an unguarded way, not knowing, um, you know, that, that, that can be really offensive. Um, and so you, Megan, you alluded to, to that having happened, um, to you, what, what do you say in, in that instance? Um, and I'll, I'll just add here that I know I, I've kind of put, you know, all my, (laughs) all my friends on notice, right? Like you can't, you can't just say, anything to me just because I'm a white person. I think this is one of the, the sort of white secrets that I don't know that other people realize that white people say stuff to other white people that they would never say in mixed company. 
you know, I, I'm not okay with that. Right. And I speak up and I'm, I'm pretty direct and, um, and people know people have even like corrected themselves. So I'm curious, you know, you're obviously in a, in a special set of circumstances as, you know, having, having biracial children. So how do you handle that? Um, Megan and Rachel, I'd like to hear from both of you on that. So I think, um, you know, kind of like what you just said, I think speaking up, um, is really the easiest way to handle it. Um, there have been times where I have been confrontational, but you know, I've learned that uh, that may not always be the best approach because you know people tend to get defensive, um, or they often um, offer an apology, and you know whether that apology is even um, sincere. And I, I think also, you know, kind of you know being transparent, um, just just explaining, um, you know, who, who my children are, um, what the dynamic in my household looks up, looks like. Um, and also this is something that I've learned, um, from my husband. My husband is very, um, he's very tolerant and he, you know, he, he kind of, he, like my son, um, gives everyone the benefit of the doubt. I tend to well, I used to, I'm working on it. I tend to kind of not be explosive, but I, re, I guess, reactionary. And he, um, you know, he always talks about, um, is it worthy of a punishment per se, because somebody says the wrong thing, um, use it as an opportunity to educate. So that's kind of where my focus has been um, more recently is just trying, um, you know, I'll listen. Um, if, if it's a, if it's a blatant, you know, disrespectful conversation or comment, I have no problem putting someone in their place. But I think ultimately, um, you know, use it, I use it as an opportunity to educate. Um, I, I give the op give a person the opportunity to express how they feel. One of this kind of going off a little bit, but I, I think one of the most important things that I've had to learn is the, the difference between acceptance and tolerance. And, you know, I, I will share with people, you don't have to accept my household dynamic. You don't have to accept it. You don't have to accept, you know, interracial marriages or my biracial children, but you really have to tolerate them. And I kind of say, you know, I remember having a conversation. I, I witnessed um, a man, um, he was <clears throat> belittling a woman. Um, we were at a athletic function and he was belittling a woman because she was taking uh, too long with his order. And, you know, I kind of let it go on for a few minutes. And then I spoke up and said, you know, I don't really think you should be talking to her like that. And our conversation led to one thing to the other. And, and, you know, I basically said to him, you know, there's, there's other options. Like you could go somewhere else if you don't like what's happening here. Like, you know, no one is at your beck and call. And that's kind of where, my approach is now, like, if you don't like what you see, like, don't look at it, you know, move on. Um, but I think, and I say the same thing to my kids, um, now that they're, you know, older, I do explain to them that, you know, you, you're going to get, people are going to say things to you that you don't like, but at the end of the day, everyone is entitled to their opinion. Um, you don't have to, you don't have to agree with it. You don't have to like what you're hearing. You don't have to accept what you're hearing, but at the end of the day, the person is a human being and, you know, you, they're entitled to their opinion. Um, so that's kind of the approach I try to take, or that's the response I, I try to take, um, whether that's, you know, the best way, I'm not sure. Um, all of this is like a work in progress and I learn every single day. So that, that's, you know, that's pretty much how I handle it. Okay. Thank you. And, and Rachel, what about with you? I have not experienced anything like that. Um, I would say I probably have heard more comments from the adoption side of things, um, you know, just a misconceptions that people have about adoption and children's feelings or how they should, you know, kind of like putting them in a box of how they should feel or not feel or, you know, whatever. But I'm a I am not a confrontational person, as you know, Becky, I'm, I'm much more passive and quiet and I'm going to think about it. And so I don't usually have a very ready answer. And so I, especially if it's in a group setting, one-on-one, um, -on -one, if it's something I, somebody I know more, I would probably speak up. Um, 
but thankfully I haven't really had to do that. And so for me, it would probably be something I would go back to as a conversation. If it's someone that I interact with, if it's the public, you know, I think I've just learned from adoption stuff. You have a number of, of answers you can give and you can choose to educate. You can, and even my daughter, as we've talked about adoption, like, you don't, you can ignore the person you can, you know, choose to offer one piece of information, you can walk away, like you can educate. I'm trying to think what the other one is. And so it's kind of the same sort of thing. Like you don't have to necessarily give any information and, or you can choose to engage it or not. And so I think most of the time though, I'm probably more on the passive side. And so I don't know how I would handle that. I haven't really thought about it. I think, cause I haven't encountered it um but if it's out in public most likely i'm just gonna let it go i'm not a person to to confront very easily um especially with people that i don't know Mm. both of you had mentioned that um you haven't experienced any racist interactions as a result of being a biracial uh being a mother to a biracial child but have your children experienced any uh, racist interactions with their friends or just other people in general? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, there hasn't been a lot, um, but last sometime, I think it was in the summer. Um, and because it was COVID there, you know, birthday parties weren't really happening, but it was kind of just an outdoor party and um, just a few friends. And my daughter said to me, she had been kind of in a funk and, there's a lot of reasons that that happens. And a lot of times it means she's thinking through something. Um, and so I just thought it was adoption related. And it was probably a week or two after the fact. And she said to me, my friend said to me that I couldn't go to her birthday party because of the color of my skin. And so these are seven and eight year olds. And I was just like, okay, that hurts me because it hurts you because that is absolutely wrong and so having that conversation it was just interesting because my daughter had thought it through because there was another friend who is um, Asian who had been invited and she said that doesn't make sense because we have the same skin color and she's invited and so you know she was trying to think that through like I don't understand this because I think most of the other girls were probably Caucasian and then in the end she was invited and she went, but I just thought that was really interesting that, um, that that happened at such a young age. And, and I think because I've tried to be aware or, you know, um, watch movies or read books or do things so that I'm uh, aware that these things happen. I wasn't surprised on one level. Um, and honestly, even just a huge, area for me to have learned about all of these subject matters was in my multicultural counseling class. And so I wasn't, uh, you know, I engaged with classmates who were African-American and who were biracial and other from other cultures. And so I knew that these um, discriminations happened. And so there wasn't a complete like what? I, I believed her instantly. I did not doubt her for a second because I knew that this was a reality and this is, this is a reality she's going to face her whole life. And so we definitely had that conversation um, multiple times surrounding that and me, me helping her. So it doesn't happen often. I think she, or at least not that I'm aware of, um, but I'm sure it will increase as she gets older. Megan, how about your children? There's been several instances. Um, the one instance that stands out to me the most, um, it happened to be from an individual that resided in our neighborhood on the same street. Um, both of my children uh, and this individual rode the same school bus. And um, he typically referred to any children, child of color uh, with the N word. Um, so it started with my daughter at first, cause she's older. Um, he would refer to her. He, I, I believe he told a joke. He, he stood up on the bus and he said to, uh, some students in the group that she was sitting with, um, what do you call a bunch of, what do you call a bunch of black people sitting in a hot tub? And he said, cocoa puffs. 
and that was when they were younger. And then, um, he, that resulted or led to, he just then started using the N word. Um, there was one other, um, biracial child on the bus stop with her that would always try to intervene and, you know, de-escalate the situation. It then resulted in him using the same racial slur to my son. Um, we were called to the school multiple times. Uh, my daughter would report it immediately upon exiting the bus. And, you know, eventually I, I you know, I said to the school, like, you know, you're, you're calling me here. We're, we're coming, we're listening. Um, our, our hands are tied. Like you're allowing this individual to remain on the school bus. I understand that you have to offer him transportation because we're in a, it's a public school. Um, but I, I don't really know what you would like me to do at this point. Um, we've, we've tried everything. Like I'm educating my kids and I'm guiding them on how to respond in the most effective way, in the most safe way. Um, so eventually he was removed from the bus. And then when he was allowed back on the bus, he started to target um, my son. Um, he did make comments to him as well. Um, so thankfully he has moved. Um, he doesn't, he no longer lives in our neighborhood. So that kind of resolved itself. Um, but yeah, both of my kids have experienced um, different racial slurs at school. Um, my son was called Arnold Schwarzenegger multiple times. Um, then it turned into just the N-word. Um, that was maybe in the third or fourth grade. Uh, my daughter was asked or told by another peer, um, why don't you just go pick cotton? Um, you know, so, so it, it, it's happened. Um, it's happened more often than, you know, I would like it to happen. Um, again, we just, you know, we, we reassure them, we listen to them, um, we give them solutions like I said before, they're, they're the opposite. Um, their, their responses are completely different. Um, she's, you know, she doesn't tolerate it. She thinks like the ultimate punishment should be given when individuals behave like that. And our son is a little bit more passive. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's unfortunate. And it, it, in the beginning, when they were younger, it was sad, like I said, because I couldn't, I, I, it was hard for me to relate to them. I could listen would hear them. I would advocate for them, but to be able to feel how they felt. Um, and, you know, and I would ask them like, how does this make you feel? And to be able to hear them respond, it, it's, it's sad. And, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking at times. Um, but we just, you know, we, we, we continue to encourage them to, to move forward, be the best that they can be. Um, you know, be prepared for things like this. Um, if you hear anybody behaving in this manner, like you speak up, you always speak up, you always speak up for those who, you know, are less fortunate or not, um, you know, able to speak up for themselves, like do something, speak up and advocate. That's, that's kind of what we promote here. Wow. Just the, the amazing heart that you have, Megan, and just being able to just be the, the mom that your kids need. Even when you don't have the answers, you're just like, we're, we're going to figure this out together. And that, that just must be so, so, so hard. And I, I hope that you know how great you are. And I hope your kids know how great you are. So on that note, we are going to close. And Rachel and Megan, we wanted to ask you what advice you have for other parents of biracial children. Rachel, we can start with you. I think the biggest thing is just to be aware, to educate yourself first, um, you know, read. I've, I've tried to very specifically this year watch certain movies that would help me understand this racial divide and tension and, and my husband has done the same and so just be educated first and foremost so that you know and I would say surround yourself with like-minded individuals that are going to help educate you and push you forward to not just be complacent and say oh these things don't exist or we don't have to deal with them um, because I feel like my friends and just being a support, having those other parents who understand what I'm going through has been a huge 
blessing to me. Like I can't imagine not having the support system that I have with other people who are adopted, but also adopted cross-culturally. And so that's, that's huge. And I think just what Megan was saying, like, just listen to your kids and be present. I mean, I think any parent that's, that's huge. Just be present for your kids and listen to what they're saying and engage them in those conversations when they bring them up. Hopefully, if we're educated, then we have at least something to offer them. But even in those moments when we feel like we don't, just being present and listening. And honestly, sometimes it's just, maybe I just need to cry with you while you're crying. Like there is no, nothing greater, I think, than to show our children that we don't have to pretend these things don't hurt. Like they hurt, they're real. So let's cry about it and then let's talk about it and let's figure out, but just not leaving them alone in their pain, um, I think is incredibly valuable and important. Great words of wisdom. Thank you, Rachel. Mm-hmm. Megan? Yeah, and and I definitely agree with um, Rachel. You know, I think um, educating yourself, um, interacting with um, people who are different than you, um, any opportunity to learn. I think being a great listener is important. Um, I think one of the most important things for me was um, accepting that my children's experiences um, are going to be different than mine. Um, and it's okay to admit that you that I don't understand uh, their perspective. Um, I think, you know, just validating my children's feelings, um, giving them the opportunity to be heard, you know, offering any type of support. Um, that's all helped me and it's helped me become a better parent. So that's that's some of the, the advice that I could offer someone else, um, you know, and, and also um, for me, you know, talking about like what's happening in the world, um, talking about white privilege learning, you know, educating myself about it, um, understanding racism and, and really breaking it down. You, you can't really, you, you have to understand it. You have to talk about it. Um, it's here. It, it's prevalent. Um, it's, it's everywhere. And, you know, I don't think you can, um, I don't think you will be as successful if you avoid those difficult conversations. So that's kind of, um, you know, something that I would definitely suggest um, a parent of a biracial child to do, you know, just, just become well-versed, put yourself in situations where you're going to learn from others. Well, ladies, thank you so much for all your words of wisdom and sharing your experiences. You, you both are incredible moms and um, we know that this will be a, a very valuable episode for our listeners. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for listening to The Heart of the Matter in Black and White. Please join us yeah. next time when we will be discussing Black take. love. If these walls could talk, they tell you about my life. Let's get into the heart of the matter in black and white. No second chances, no opportunities in sight. Cause dreams of escaping is boosting my appetite. What's the American dream? White picket fences, couple kids, couple bands, it's the American scheme. If you're from where I'm from, and they be burying teens and burying dreams. Really some embarrassing things. Institutional change, generational things. Systematic oppression, generational pain. Welcome to the show where we break it down for you, man. Cause if we don't talk about it, then these things will never change. You claim to be an ally, you really feeling us. But is equality worth that privilege you've given up? Look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself. Is my equality worth that privilege you've given up?